A mermaid found a swimming lad, picked him for her own, pressed her body to his body, laughed, and plunging down, forgot in cruel happiness that even lovers drown. By William Butler Yeats. Hello to all you guys and gals out there in the hot hinterlands. As always, it's rock. And I'm here with my co-host, Max, and we're going to be your guides as we traverse the world seas in search of all things supernatural here at Nightmares and Daydreams. Welcome, lovely people. Rock and I are going to discuss and debate our way through all things paranormal, legendary, and fishy. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, fun. Definitely fun. But you know what's not fun, Max? Sailing along and hearing a lovely voice singing up a stormy doom for you? That's my line, damn it. Hold on. I think our cue cards are out of order. <laughs> I blame it on the staff. Yeah, unfortunately we are the staff. Then I blame it on you. That sucks. We need to hire some staff. To blame things on, right? Exactly. That's us. I was passing the buck. So yeah, mermaids, aside from their lovely looks and beautiful voices, are known mostly for bringing death at sea. And come to think of it, rare is the water spirit that is beneficial to us humans, Max. Hey, I mean, it's a living. Not for the sailors, more of a killing. Or a drowning. You know what I find funny, though? What's that? Well, not funny, I guess, but curious or interesting. Some people say that mermaids are a fantasized construct based on sea creatures like manatees, right? That's a theory, for sure. So how come they're nearly universally beautiful? I mean, wouldn't early explorers have been more likely to say, assuming this theory holds water? Uh, I see what you did there. Hold water. Clever. (laughs) Although, I don't think it does. But wouldn't they have been more likely to say, damn, those sea women are gross. Look at that mustache. True, you know, but maybe those ancient sailors were into mustaches. Also, Max, ain't no manatees in Europe, ain't no manatees in Asia. Where'd all these mermaid sightings come from? Uh, Seals? Get some selkie action in there? (laughs) You and your Roan-inish perversions. Hey, I did tell you I was half selkie, remember? (laughs) You know what? I do remember that. So again, what about seals? Well, the issue is that, you know, is that they knew what seals were. So obviously wasn't seals. Well, stories of mermaids or sea folk of that sort go back at least 3,000 years. Damn. The Assyrians talk about a goddess called Atargatis who loved a mortal shepherd. Listen, Max, let me help you out, okay? I've been playing Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Let me pronounce that right. Okay, yeah. Atargatis. Hey, how does that sound? Hey, not too bad, right? That's perfect, man. That's my Spanish accent. Anyways, Max, shepherds... That's your ancient Sumerian. ...were popular. (laughs) Yeah, my ancient Assyrian. Shepherds were popular with goddesses back then, man. True. You know, they were just hanging out on hills with the smock on, drinking the wine, carrying a magical shillelagh, you know, maybe playing some sweet tunes on his panpipe. They got all the immortal ladies back then. True. There's some hot shepherds. <laughs> a lot of sheep then. Exactly. Good job, security. Good old Endymion, whom Selena fell in love with. Anyway, well, she accidentally killed him. You see, folks, these things literally never work out well. Yeah, goddess sex, or god sex for that matter. Hmm. It sounds good, but most likely it'll kill you. Or at least make you sleep for a very long time. <laughs> True. What was I talking about? Atargatis killed a shepherd. You know, another legend of Atargatis, or Atargatis, what we said earlier, is that she was an Assyrian priestess who jumped into the sea to wash away the shame of an unwanted pregnancy. But then, you know, she emerged as a mermaid goddess. 
<laughs> what's what's so funny? It just has me thinking of that movie, A oh Brother Where Art Thou? Oh, that's a good flick, man. I'm a Dapper Dan man myself. <laughs> when at the end, when Everett, defending his leadership, says, well, you didn't get turned into a toad, though. And Delmar says, almost got loved up, though. <laughs> that, that's awesome. And okay, I'm going to let this totally random aside thing slide because they were at least dealing with sirens on the riverbank, so it's marginally related. And like you said earlier, God or goddess sex rarely works out for the mortal. Not according to the lore, anyway. Mm-hmm. Okay, back on track. Back on track. So, Atargatis, as you say. Nice. Is so distraught that she killed her lover that she dives into the Euphrates and turns herself into a fish. Slightly different from the version you read. I'm not sure how that is supposed to help alleviate her feelings of guilt, though. Well, in any case, it doesn't work, because the river refuses to conceal her godly beauty, and so her top half remains humanoid. So the river is more powerful than Atargatis. I guess so. And if you think about it, rivers are gods too. Mm-hmm. And the Euphrates is a mighty river, so... Ah, true, true. You know, wasn't Alexander the Great's sister a mermaid or something? Did Philip of Macedon have some proclivities that weren't in the history books? <laughs> well, as far as I know, that story is from the Middle Ages, from Byzantine Greece, so... I don't think it dates to the Hellenistic period. But you should tell it anyway. It's sort of a cool story. Well, according to Greek legend, Alexander the Great, like others before and after him, sought the fountain of immortality. Unlike most others, he is said to have found it and washed his beloved sister's hair with it. When Alexander died in Babylon, his sister, driven mad with sorrow, tried to end her grief by leaping into the Aegean. However, by some magic or divine intervention, she didn't die, becoming a mermaid instead. She roamed the seven seas for centuries, periodically stopping ships to inquire, is Alexander the King still alive? I'm guessing that you probably shouldn't tell her. Indeed. If the sailors were to tell her, he lives and reigns and conquers the world, she happily let them pass. And if they told her the truth, if they told her the truth, that he had died, she would turn monstrous and try to sink the ship. You know, mermaids love sinking ships. It's one of their favorite things, along with Krabby Patties. <laughs> what would Kant do in this situation? He said one should never lie for any reason. Well, as long as he's not sailing my ship, he can do whatever the hell he wants. <laughs> True. But pretty much every culture has mermaids. Or something similar, water beings, especially female ones. Often luring people to their drowning deaths, like we said earlier. Well... Maybe that says something about the treacherous nature of water, especially deep water like oceans. Could be. Always come to the rescue with the rational explanation, aren't you? <laughs> hey, I mean, I'm not saying that's what I believe. No, but you are always bringing up the naturalistic reason why people might believe a certain thing. Why can't it just be because they saw a mermaid? Because there was a mermaid. I mean, it could. But I think it's important to explore all avenues. I mean... You hate magic. <laughs> <laughs> what? How dare you? <laughs> I mean, okay. So sure, there could be a creature that emulates what we know of as a mermaid. But there could also be a metaphorical or symbolic reason that the construct was created as a mythological symbol across the world that says something about humanity. Okay, but what about Occam's razor? What about it? The simplest solution is usually the correct one, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't think it works like that. <laughs> 
Isn't it simpler that there was just a mermaid that someone saw instead of some complicated psychological or cultural construct at work? I mean, it seems so on face value, but Occam's Razor also says entities are not to be multiplied without necessity. But I'm not declaring mermaids or anything like them don't exist. I'm just proposing reasons that they might have developed were they not to actually be factual creatures. Oh, jeez. Oh, my God. Maybe we just need a story. <laughs> Good idea. Do you have one in mind? I do. Nehuas, the mermaid, a Passamaquoddy legend. Once, a long time ago, there was a Native American who lived by a great lake with his wife and daughters. The mother told her daughters never to go to the water of the lake, for if they did, they would be lost, or in any case, something very bad would happen. They went there often, though, for all children disobey their parents, and things that are forbidden have the greatest allure for them. The shores of the lake sloped away to a sandy island. One day they went to it, leaving their clothes on the beach, and didn't return. Their parents missed them. Their parents came looking for them. The girl swam up the sandy shallows of the shore and called to them. They cried out that they could come no closer. When they asked why, they told them they had grown too heavy, too large to leave the water. They had become snakes below the waist, very lovely with long black hair and black eyes and dark brown skin but no longer human. They also had shimmering scales on their lower halves. When their father went to get their clothes, they began to sing in the most amazing voices, leave them there, do not touch them, leave them there. Hearing them, their mother began to weep, but the girls kept singing. It's our own fault, but don't blame us. It will be none the worse for you. When you go in your canoe, then you need not paddle. We shall carry you along. And so they did. Whenever their parents canoed across the lake, the girls carried them safely wherever they wished to go. One day others came and saw the girls' clothes which still lay on the beach and looked out at the lake to see whose they might be. They saw the girls and went out onto the water to try to capture them, but the girls were too slick and they slid away, eluding the hunter's grasps. One clever hunter caught hold of her sister's hair and quickly cut it with his knife, stealing a braid of her jet black locks. Angry, the sisters turned on the hunters and began to rock the canoe, threatening to upset it and demanding the return of the hare. At first he refused, but finally, terrified in the midst of the serpentine maelstrom on the lake and thinking death was imminent, he threw it back to her. The next day the mermaids, or snake maids as it were, were heard singing and seen on the lake island, and their hair was long, lovely, and as uncut as ever. to say. What's that? It's just fascinating how alike mermaid stories are across cultures. Mm -hmm. I mean, the American peoples of Passamaquoddy, which I believe are native to modern Maine and eastern Canada, totally, are about as removed a culture as you could have from the traditional, well, what we think of as traditional European cultural perspective. But you have the whole checklist, aquatic women, half human, beautiful singing voices, all of it. Mm-hmm. Almost makes you think that there might be something to the legends. Yeah, yeah. I was just stating theoretical possibilities, Rock. I know, I know. Settle down. You know another idea that is part of the mermaid lore, not necessarily the story we just heard, but many, many others, including The Little Mermaid. Hans Christian Andersen's classic. I think you mean Walt Disney's classic. <laughs> I most certainly do not. 
<laughs> I knew that'd get you worked up. But you're right, though. Makes me think of Ponyo. Dude, that, that is a super solid Studio Ghibli movie. Ponyo, fishy daughter of a sea wizard and a goddess, fall in love with Sasuke, a human boy, and then uh, she wants to become human. You know, my wife loves Ponyo. Honestly, that's my least favorite Ghibli. <laughs> I do like that movie a lot. It's a good one. You know, I love Porco Rosso. Nice. A cursed human turned into a pig flying biplanes in the Adriatic Sea fighting air pirates? What's not to love? <laughs> Absolutely. Totally. Love it. Uh, Kiki's Delivery Service is my fave, but that's for another episode altogether. Love Kiki. You know, we can do a witches and witch business ventures episode <laughs> or the genius of Ghibli. Either one. Sounds like a good one. Or two, rather. Yep. So we've established that mermaids are found in cultures the world over. We have. So let's go through some of the various kinds. Sounds fun. Can I start? By all means, sir. After you. Okay. Well, there's the Igbago a Benin river goddess and her mermaid servants, who guard both the river and the underworld hidden underneath. In keeping to Western Africa, the Yoruba people of Nigeria tell of Ocean, a river spirit and her sisters, Oya and Oba, who are married to Shango, a thunder god. They are the children of Yamoja, mother of fish. There's still a festival every year to Ocean. That's so cool, man. I love that the old beliefs live on in modern times. So, jumping halfway around the globe, in the Philippines, we have a number of merfolk monsters. The Serena, who, unlike your bird women of Greek myth, are your more traditional humans with the tail of a fish. Serena are part of the Bante Tubig, Filipino water guardians, along with the Katal, who are the rulers of the kingdom of the Bante Tubig. The Katal appear like fishermen in need of help, who then drown their victims. Siyokoi are a third type. They're these green-skinned merfolk with scales and webbed limbs and fins. They're more animalistic than the others and are sometimes described as having tentacles. Unlike the others, they eat the humans they drown. Gnarly. Yikes. Well, heading back to Central Asia, to Persia, where we don't seem to have the half-fish type of water spirits, but we do have sea fairies who are beautiful women. The Paryune is a female being who lives in the sea floor singing lullabies to her children. She's harmless if left alone. But sometimes divers or pearl fishers run into her, accidentally stepping on or harming her children, and they become instantly paralyzed or go insane. Probably not an ideal place for that to happen, you know, the bottom of the ocean. Indeed. Be careful where you dive, folks. What else you got? Heading east again to the land of the rising sun, we have mermaids that are a lot like European mermaids. And the stories seem to be a lot like the crane wife story or the tale of Melusine in medieval France. Guy gets a beautiful wife, but when he sees her bathing, he catches sight of her hybrid form, and then she has to go away, leaving the human world. But we also have slightly disturbing stories regarding the eating of merfolk flesh. Gross. Eating them? Yeah, the Ningyo, who are a type of merfolk that can bring storms and bad luck, just like the stories common in Europe. But supposedly their meat is delicious, and if you eat it, you gain longevity beyond normal human years. Gross. Probably not gross with some sake, but hey, if you didn't know. <laughs> but yeah, I'm not super keen on eating sentient beings my damn self, so yeah, that's pretty sick. Maybe it's time to lighten the mood with a story again. Well, mermaid stories don't tend to be lightened mood, Max. True. No, I suppose they don't. But let's tell one anyway. Proceed. Have you ever heard of the Lorelei? The Rhine River Mermaid? That's the one. So her story was first told by, or first written down anyway, by Heinrich Heine in 19th century verse. This is my translation, actually, since I couldn't find a public domain version I liked. 
Although, admittedly, my translation is probably terrible since my German is really bad, and I didn't do anything in regards to meter or rhyme, so... Sounds like you went to a lot of effort for it, Max, so let's hear it, shall we? I don't know what it should mean that I'm so sad. A tale from ages past that I cannot keep from my mind. The air is cool and it grows dark and the Rhine flows peaceful. The mountain summit shimmers in the glimmer of the evening sun. The most beautiful woman sits up there, a wonder. Her golden jewelry flashes, she combs her golden hair. She combs it with a golden comb while she sings a song. It has a wondrous spellbinding melody. The sailor in his little ship is seized by it with a wild woe. He doesn't look to the rocky shoals, only up to the heavens. I believe in the end, the waves devour the sailor and his skiff. And this with her singing, the Lorelei has done. For that being your own translation and your German being weak, I'd say nicely done, my man. <laughs> Thanks, I try. Or danke, danke schön. Donkey Chains, I know I love that song. <laughs> Donkey Chains, baby. Okay, anyways. Harris Bueller. You, absolutely. You know, Max, I can't help seeing the correlation between some of these mermaids who, let's face it, are predators and some of the water hags that we've covered in our first season. Watch those lonely pools that look oh so inviting mm -hmm. whilst you're hiking in the forest primeval people, especially in these hot summers. Yep, as you've come across in the research and the lore plainly states, check yourself before you wreck yourself, y'all. Like if the beach is looking a bit rough and rowdy and you're still feeling that pull to dive in, or if that sparkling mountain pool looks supernaturally inviting, maybe stay out of the water because in said body of water might await a mermaid or water hag that wants to sup on your bones and is using magical means to draw you in. <laughs> That's a public safety announcement. Or they may make you their love slave. Or put your soul in a jar for all eternity. That's not very cool. Who knew mermaids were so uncool? So I, I ran across a modern story. How modern? Well, Max, my idea of modern is a little different than yours. <laughs> yeah, as we've discovered. <laughs> 150 years in terms of, like, Earth time is a blink. So I stick with my definition of modern. Right. So this sighting occurred in the 1980s. Dang, ancient. Shut up. So this was off the coast of Florida. And this guy was a wildlife photographer, just like an outdoorsy dude. And they're used to boating around the waters around Florida, the Atlantic side, not the Gulf side. So what happened? So the guy was on his boat, and it was a larger boat, and he had it anchored, and he had planned a scuba dive that day. Gorgeous day, perfect weather for diving. So he gets all suited up, and he's in the water. So why is the theme from Jaws playing in my head right now? <laughs> totally. So he's diving, right? And the only thing he's worried about is a barracuda that he spotted earlier. But other than that, it's clear. Until things kind of shift. How so? I think it's the underwater equivalent of the environment going silent on land. Like when people who have had sightings or experienced a supernatural or paranormal occurrence, they say that everything stops. Like the wind stops blowing, the birds and bugs stop doing their thing, just an eerie silence. Like the earth is holding its breath. Like the proverbial calm before the storm thing. Precisely. So things get weirdly silent underwater. 
and his fear level just kicks up. And he thinks maybe the barracudas are back or even possibly a shark. There goes that Jaws theme again. (laughs) So this guy starts making his way slowly back toward his boat. And again, he's experienced with this. You know, this is kind of his job. He does wildlife photography. So he's not hurrying. He's just steadily heading back. And he's scanning around constantly because, you know, it's not for nothing that we have this sixth sense, right? Right. If that fear sensor is going off, best listen to it. Agreed. As he's nearing his boat, he sees this figure in the water, maybe 20 yards from him. A figure? Yeah. So he sees this figure in front of him, Max, and it's humanoid. Head, arms, torso, long hair, but no legs. The lower half is a fish? Mm-hmm. Dude just sighted a mermaid. Or a manatee. He has to get close enough to see if it's a mustache. <laughs> it looks like a mermaid, but this is not Ariel. So he's watching this creature watch him. And in what seems like a nanosecond, this thing is on him. And she has claws and sharp teeth and large black eyes like a shark. Also long hair, as I said earlier, breast, clearly female. Damn. So he fends her off and she's laying into him and he says he can feel the animosity coming off her. Like this hate that's almost palpable. So she attacked him? Yeah, like tore holes in his scuba suit on his arms, his gear. I've seen the pics, like three side-by-side tears in the fabric of a scuba suit. But just as soon as she's there, she's gone. And he's able to get to his boat and climb in and get the hell out of Dodge. So she let him go. Mm -hmm. Uh, She just wanted his water-polluting self out of her ocean. Could be. I mean, she had claws, sharp teeth. She was a mermaid in her element. He was fish bait if this creature had wanted to kill him, I think. Clearly just sending a message. Stay away, Mr. Wildlife Photographer. You ain't welcome. Mm Mm-hmm. If this sighting is legit, anyway. You know, a dude was attacked by a mermaid off the coast of Florida, Max. How does that not sound legit? I know. How foolish of me. Mm Mm-hmm. Could be in so, uh, what's the opposite of gullible? (laughs) (laughs) Ungullible. Yes, quit being so ungullible, Max. All right. <laughs> so you ready for a story? <laughs> Lead on, good sir. It's a bit of a long one, but I like it. The Ludis of Curry were renowned for generations as powerful healers and curse breakers. This is how the clan received their powers and the price they paid for them. On Cornwall's south coast, where the sailing is perilous, a middle-aged Cornishman scoured the beach for treasure. For after big storms, goods from unfortunate ships lost at sea washed up on the beach, bales of flax, casks of rum, and other goods. On this foggy spring afternoon, the man, Ludi, along with his dog, wandered the rocky shore in search of gifts from the sea. Instead, he heard a faint cry, barely audible over the crash of the waves. His small dog whined as Ludi began walking towards the sound. The cries led him over a large circular rock formation, closer to the beach yet protected. Ludi knew that at high tide this area was covered in water, but now, at low tide, only a small pool lay in between the rock formations. It was an in-between place, neither land nor sea, its boundaries changing with phases of the moon, this magical place. Places such as these were strange mystic spots, where spirits from other worlds could enter ours, just as one had done on this hazy spring day. Large sea-green eyes met Ludi's as he looked down into the circle of rocks. Frightened eyes framed by a pale, beautiful face ringed with long red-gold hair stared up at him from the small pool she rested in. The being was clearly female from head to waist, 
Ludi gasped as he saw that from her hips, her body was sleek, long, and shimmering, ending in an iridescent tail. The Cornishman had found a mermaid. Help me, she said weakly, her tail thrashing in the tiny pool she was in. Just get me to the waters and I'll grant you a boon. Please. She raised both her arms at him, hoping he would help her. And help her he did. He gently picked her up and was surprised that she was as light as air. Her arms wrapped around his neck as he began to take her towards the foaming waves, carefully picking his way among the sharp rocks. From behind him his dog growled, its ears back as it trotted near him, never taking its eye off the mermaid. Ludi halted at the water's edge and the mermaid looked at him, her sea-green eyes seeming to hypnotize him. She snuggled into his arms, feeling safer now that she was so near her element. What is the boon, you ask? Name your heart's desire and it is yours. Gazing into the sea, the Cornishman replied, I want to have the power to break evil spells. She smiled and ran a porcelain finger along his jaw. Done. And what other boon, my sweet? Ludi had moved into the water now, up to his knees. I also want the power to cast healing spells, to help people. She smiled deeper. Again, done. I can grant you another. He was up to his hips now, and, and she was holding on to him by his neck, smiling, a secret smile, her red gold tresses floating in the water and her tail gently undulating behind her. Ludi spoke again, his eyes trapped in the mermaid's gaze. I want my sons to have these powers, and their sons after them, and so on, forever. Your line has it. For your kindness, Ludi, I grant you these boons. As a symbol of her promise, she withdrew an ivory comb from her long hair and gave it to him. She pressed the comb into his left hand, and Ludi felt the pool of the sea, his feet sinking into the sand and the powerful pull of the tide. Stay with me, she offered. What pleasures are left to you on the dry, cracked earth? She tightened her hold on his neck. Ludi's dog began howling on the beach, splashing around, barking frantically at his master, causing Ludi to stumble back in the surf towards the shore. She lunged at him, still smiling. Clumsily, he withdrew his old pocket knife, cast an iron. At the sight of it, she kicked away from Ludi, for iron was a repellent to creatures from the other world. Farewell, she said, her laugh echoing over the water. For nine years I will bide my time, then we shall meet again. She leaped away, and the last Ludi of Curry saw of the sea maiden was her long red gold hair vanishing into the green sea. Three days later, the powers of the mermaid came to bear. Ludi noticed a neighbor leaning over a dead cow. As Ludi looked closer, he noticed another dead cow not far away. And these two make four dead, Ludi, the neighbor said, anger in his voice. I will be ruined if this keeps up. Ludi knelt down near his friend. A witch did this. The next cow that falls ill, bleed it and catch the blood on a straw pile. After the blood is dried, burn the straw and mark well the first person who passes through the smoke. That is the witch cursing you. Do with them as you will. He went silent for a long moment, surprised at his own words. The farmer only nodded grimly. Ludi's prescription brought swift results and soon word of his wisdom spread. Next he saved a child from a deadly fever, then he cured an entire family after that, and after that the daughter of the local lord. Word spread far and wide that Ludi of Curry was a powerful peller, or healer that could expel evil spirits and disease. 
rich and poor alike, came from miles around for his wisdom. Soon his sons, also feeling the pull of their father's wishes, tied up their fishing boats and joined him in the family business, each son understanding the power of elder blossoms and Anglican leaves to cure colds, hangman's noose for scrofula, and written charms for warding off the evil eye. How they gained this power they didn't know, only that the knowledge flowed in their minds like blood in their veins. Soon Ludi moved to a larger house, which pleased his wife. Yet even as he healed those in need and fought the powers of darkness, as years went by he became withdrawn and wistful, off to spending time near the circular rock formation where he had first encountered the seed maiden with hair like the sun and skin like pearls. One morning he abruptly left his house. Going fishing was all he said as he headed to the beach with angry waves slapping at the shore. His sons exchanged worried glances as their father hobbled down to the beach. The youngest rose from the table and followed him, wishing to keep an eye on Ludi. Yet the younger man couldn't keep up with his father, who seemed to move with a supernatural pace, as if drawn by some unknown force. The older man went to the village harbor, untied a skiff, and sat in it, as if waiting for something. Before his youngest son could reach the skiff, pale arms and bright red-gold hair flashed around the small vessel. The mermaid was cavorting in the waves, her tinkling laugh echoing across the water. She beckoned him, arms out wide, and Ludi rose from his seat. He looked to his youngest son. My time here has come, he shouted before plunging into the sea. His son would recount that the sea seemed to swallow his father alive, with no sign of him after he dove in. And vanish he did, crossing the ephemeral boundary of our world and the next. Ludi was never sighted again, but the powers of the mermaids lingered through his kin for generations the line becoming famed fighters of witchcraft and sickness. Yet, the mermaid took her payment all the same. For every nine years, as regular as the turning of the seasons, as regular as the tides, one of Ludi's heirs was lost at sea, vanishing into that cold green world as old and fathomless as time itself. Okay, now, that's a good question to posit. Okay, go for it. Would you gain powers for yourself, and future generations, of course, at the cost of a life every nine years? I mean, that's a tough question, right? It's for a good cause, fighting the powers of darkness, but nine years is not that long a time. Am I right? Time flies, especially the older we get. Yep. So, would you? I'm not sure, man. I mean, on the surface and in the broader sense of helping people out, it sounds like a good thing to do. I guess it would depend where the mermaid takes you, right? Yeah, like, is it perpetual happy hour? Like, is it water slides and, you know, fish fries? Or does she eat you and put your soul in a jar? Yeah, like the Vojanoi. Nice. Exactly. Tough call. You know, I'd probably not do it. Too many variables. Like the wolfskin belts we spoke of in our werewolf episode. Mm-hmm. Great powers, but not complete control over the powers. Yep. I can see the correlation, but... You know, Ludi did get a fly new house for his old lady. <laughs> it's all about the real estate. Hey, man, those seaside abodes are hot properties, Max. I wouldn't know, right? We live in good old landlocked Austin. Yeah, and that uh, lakefront property is out of my price range. And guys, with that, we are going to call it an episode, boys and girls. We are done. Thank you, folks, for listening. As always, please take a quick second and rate us and review us on whatever platform you listen. Those five-star reviews and ratings could really take our little podcast to the next level. Max speaks true, y'all. Help get us noticed, why don't you? 
Also, give us a holler on all the socials, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or check us out on our own website at nightmarespodcast.net. Maybe pick up some fun merch, as we always say. The part of our show is Teresa Joy. She gives us that lovely professional sound that many of you have commented on. She does. Find and follow her at Virebrite. That's at V-I-O-B-R-I-T-E on Facebook and Instagram. Or go to her own website for some of her own amazing music. And that's at TeresaJoyMusic.com. Again, everybody, thanks for hanging out with Max and I, and thanks for listening. And as always, sweet dreams. Sweet dreams.